Doctors hate Clemson. They figured out this one simple trick to rebuild your NCAA tournament resume. Beat the Tar Heels at home. You are locked on college basketball, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What's up, folks? Happy Wednesday. Welcome into the Locked On College Basketball Podcast, a daily national college hoop show, part, of course, of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I'm your host, Andy Patton, joined today by our weekly guest, Leaf Tulin, also of the Locked On NBA Big Board. We want to thank you all for making the show your first listen or your first watch of the day. Remind you to hit that subscribe button on YouTube. And if you're so inclined, join our Discord channel. It is free to join. There's a link in the show notes on audio and video platforms. Today's episode of Locked On College Basketball is brought to you by GameTime. Download the GameTime app, create an account, and use promo code Locked On for $20 off your first purchase. Well, if we got a handful of Big 12 results we're going to discuss uh, in the second segment, we're also going to talk about big wins for UConn and Kentucky, a loss for Michigan State, and preview some of tonight's games all coming up later in the show. But we have to lead with the Clemson Tigers because for the first 59 times that Clemson played North Carolina in Chapel Hill, they took a loss, 59 times. And then in 2020, They pulled off a miracle, beat North Carolina in Chapel Hill. It was the first time in a very, very long time, first time ever in conference play. And now they've done it two out of three times in a row because on Tuesday night, Carolina, coming off of a loss last week to Georgia Tech, coming off then a big win over their rival in Duke, they fall to the Tigers 80-76. to Clemson had a 16-point lead in this one, blew that entire lead, still managed to fight back and end up securing a victory. P.J. Hall 25 points for him. Go ahead, Bucket, with three minutes to go. They never stopped leading after that. Clemson had nine offensive rebounds in the second half. That was a huge part of the story for them. And and this feels like a game they really needed. Isaac and I have talked a handful of times on the show about how Clemson is kind of Clemsoning this year, where they have a really great non-conference schedule and they really struggle getting into conference play, ultimately end up falling down the standings and, and frequently fall out of the NCAA tournament picture. And as much as we did not think that was going to happen to them this year, we're like, no, they're good. PJ Hall's an All-American candidate. Joe Girard's a perfect addition for them. They got great role players like Shefflin. There's no way it'll happen again. It's been happening again. But this kind of seems to have stopped the bleeding for them. They are now 4-4 four and four in quad one wins, which is big because they only have one quad one win left on their, or one quad one opportunity left on their schedule right now at Wake Forest. Leaf, how important was this win for Clemson in terms of the NCAA tournament picture, in terms of confidence building? What does it mean for this team to have been able to do this yet again after not doing it for for many, many decades previously? It was absolutely vital for their NCAA tournament chances and also just in general for program building. You have to be able to occasionally beat Duke and, mm-hmm. and Carolina to contend within the ACC, not only for one season, but for for the recruiting purposes, make sure you have talent transfers will be interested because that is the type of win that puts you on the map. Mm -hmm. Clemson's been playing pretty good basketball of late Mm -hmm. and their losses have been by one point on the Mm -hmm. road against good teams. They lost by one at Duke. Mm -hmm. We're right in that game. And I would, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be against someone saying they played better, but I wouldn't Mm -hmm. say they were like definitively better. There was a foul call at the end of the game that I think was the right call. It was a foul on Clemson that gave Duke the win. But what Mm -hmm. really gave Duke the win was Clemson had four turnovers in the last five possessions. Yeah, Like that, they should have won that game at Cameron Indoor Stadium. 
And I'm not sold Duke is an amazing team. They have all the talents in the world. Yeah. Then they lost in Virginia. Virginia had controlled that game for the majority of it, but they lost by one, had a chance to win, shot attempt for a game winner. Mm-hmm. And then they beat North Carolina, and, of course, they beat Louisville in, in mm-hmm. uh, games between there. So that's four straight games where you could argue Clemson could have, should have won, mm-hmm. but they got the biggest one of them all, a road win against what was projected to be a number one seed. Mm-hmm. Carolina, the standpoint for the heels, is a little bit um, discouraging because, yes, you, you get the trap game where you play Georgia Tech and then you refocus and play Duke. That that I kind of expected. Mm-hmm. I didn't expect them to blow out Clemson or anything like that, mm-hmm. but it looked they just looked wrong. Yeah. Um, and then I saw some reports that people are missing shoot-arounds. And mm-hmm. uh, Armando Bacot says, we're not talented, talented enough to have people not fully engaged, that people showed up late to practice and to shoot-around. And they that's that sign of bad things to come. Like that that shows you're not very locked in. Like you see that clip going viral about Dan Hurley talking about how you need all this intensity of focus just for a, the team. You don't even talk about basketball in the huddle and everyone looks like they're ready to go go battle mm-hmm. and, and mm-hmm. go into battle with their brothers. Well, North Carolina had four players late to shoot around after beating Duke. Like that should be a morale booster, not something that sets you back. And so um, I think Clemson's actually – put themselves into the NCAA tournament. I, I think all they have to do is go three and one the rest of the way. And it's very doable looking at their schedule and maybe even two and two, but they've got enough good wins, especially as some of their other ones age well, like TCU and Bama. Mm-hmm. And I think they're in. Yeah, I agree. I think Clemson, this, this may not have solidified it, but it came pretty close to solidifying it for them. It puts them in a, in a much more comfortable position than they were previously. And yeah, I saw that update on the North Carolina situation. That is certainly Odd, and you got to wonder, you know, for Hubert Davis, this is a big moment for him to to be able to get this team back in line and get them refocused. I don't know if it was a, a too much confidence in, in the team, like the players were just a little bit too confident and felt like, hey, you know, we beat Duke, we're going to be fine. Uh, we're a top five team, top three team, whatever. But uh, that, yeah, that stuff can't fly. And and I mean, shout out to Baycott for calling it out too. That's never something he's been afraid to do, and uh, has kind of cemented him as a, a big piece for North Carolina's just history, in part because of doing stuff like that and. Uh, you know, in this game, we talked about Isaac and I talked about this earlier this week of for North Carolina. One of the nice things about them after that Duke win was they proved they can win without R.J. Davis having a great game. And then in this game, that wasn't the case. R.J. Davis struggled. He had 22 points, seven of 22 shooting. Three of them were a, des- or a three at the end of the game that was just irrelevant. Five of 12 from three for him. Meanwhile, Cormac Ryan, we've talked about him a couple of times on the show. He has really struggled uh, and he's had some when, when they've had their best performances, it's often because he plays well, like he's a big catalyst for this team as their, you know, their floor spacer off guard. And, and he was one of 10 in this game. He played 30 minutes. He had two points oh of six from three. And, and I feel like maybe you can survive a, a rough game from Davis if. Armando Baycott has a great game if Harrison Ingram has a great game and if Cormac Ryan is is doing what he's supposed to do. But if Davis has a rough game, Cormac Ryan gives you legitimately nothing. Uh, you know, I mean, Baycott at 24 and 13 and they still couldn't find a way to, to beat this Clemson team. So to me, I still think Carolina has a lot of depth and I think that helps them be able to win games even when their superstars have off nights. But they're clearly susceptible to, to struggles. And if they're not entirely focused and together as a unit, uh, anything can happen. It doesn't matter how much talent you have. If you're not together as a team and, and all on the same page, it's it's very problematic. Yeah, I, I think the biggest concern is that typically teams that have this, they can refocus, but why have it after your biggest win? Mm-hmm. And, and why why in a two-day span 
do you go from the peak of college basketball, which is the best rivalry in college basketball? Mm-hmm. You get a win at your home court yeah. in decisive fashion to losing on your home court against a team that's not as good as your previous opponent. That mm-hmm. happens. But to lose your your locker room concerns yeah. me. And yeah. I'm very curious if people were frustrated with their roles, if, if what, what the case was. It, it's really more concerning than just the loss. So I, I'm very curious about their next game to see, hey, we've righted the ship. Everyone's focused in. And if they win by 20, I don't, I mean, I think they need to be, have like a dominant performance to get me back on the bandwagon because that that's something you just don't see very often. Yep. Yeah. And with a relatively young head coach, it'll be very interesting to see how, how he handles it and how, how that potentially, how that moves the direction of this team for the rest of the season. Leaf, we're going to move on and talk about some schools in Utah. Both BYU and Utah State took tough losses on Tuesday night. We're going to discuss which of these Utah programs are pretenders or contenders. We're also going to get to some other Big 12 results. All of that coming up after a word from today's sponsor, Game Time. What would you do with an extra 100 bucks if you were in Vegas for the big game? I know I would go find myself the best steak possible. They're usually a little over 100 bucks, but it is well worth it if you find the right one in Vegas. Guess what? That does not have to just be a what if. You can make that a reality if you go buy a big game ticket from Game Time using code Vegas100. Game Time is the fastest and easiest way to buy tickets for all the sports, music, comedy, and theater events near you. They have killer last-minute deals, all-in prices, views from your seat, and their best price guarantee, which makes Game Time take the guesswork out of buying tickets. We're just about a month away from conference tournaments. Game, game time would be a phenomenal, great, great place to get your tickets to those games. Even if you wanted to go for just a day or two, game time is perfect for that kind of event. So take the guesswork out of buying tickets with game time. Right now, all game time users get $100 off a big game ticket with code Vegas100. Just got, download the game time app, use code Vegas100 for $100 off that ticket. Or if you're not heading out to the Super Bowl, use code Locked On for $20 off your first purchase. Terms do apply. Download game time today. Last minute tickets, lowest prices, guaranteed. All right, Leaf, got some Big 12 results want to cover here. A handful of, of fun contests. Baylor picked up another big win over Texas Tech. Uh, we saw Iowa State go on the road and beat Texas. We also saw Houston blow out Oklahoma State. Not a huge shock there. And we're going to get to those games, but I want to start with one other Big 12 game and what it means for two schools in the state of Utah, Oklahoma blew out BYU in the second half. It was 82-66 to 66 was the final score. This thing was tied 34-all at halftime, and Oklahoma ended up winning in the second half 48-32. to 32. BYU shot just under 31% from three in this one. Noah Waterman and Jackson Robinson combined for just 11 points on two of nine shooting from three. Meanwhile, Utah State took their second loss in a row. They lost at San Diego State over the weekend. They lost to Nevada on Tuesday night, 77 to 63. They had been 19 and two. Now they are 19 and four. Uh, It is also a four-way tie for first place in the Mountain West Conference between Utah State, New Mexico, San Diego State, and Boise State. Colorado State's, I think, a half game behind them. It is a really close match uh, in that Mountain West Conference. But Leaf, want to discuss these two teams because they've both been kind of hovering around the bottom of the top 25. BYU has been in the top 25 for the majority of the year, but hasn't really made any significant headway. They've done fine in the Big 12, four and five in conference play. So, you know, probably better than people would have expected for this team, especially coming off of a rough year last year in the WCC. But 
you know, they, they haven't picked up a ton of marquee wins. They've just avoided some of those bad losses. Meanwhile, Utah State, really good non-conference resume, beat some good teams, but now has taken these two losses in a row in a Mountain West that seems to be kind of beating each other up. Like, what do you make of these two teams? Do you see either of these teams being legitimate? Like, hey, this team could make a, a Sweet 16 or maybe even go on a farther run. Or do you think both these teams are, are maybe not going to be huge players in the tournament uh, when it gets that time? Well, it's interesting because uh, I think both these teams coming off losses are probably better than the loss. Like, mm-hmm. I, 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 ironically enough, I actually had talked about these exact two games with with someone. That, uh, I was just watching the Jazz game last night, working the game, and before the game, talked with with some people about college hoops, and I thought that Oklahoma was going to beat BYU not because of BYU being not good or anything like that. Mm-hmm. It was just Oklahoma was desperate for a win. In yeah. the Big 12, you have to defend home court, especially after a loss where you probably could have won. They lost to UCF, Oklahoma, and Porter Moser. I fully expected to win. Mm-hmm. I also thought that same thing would apply for Utah State. Mm-hmm. I thought that coming off of a loss at San Diego State, mm-hmm. where San Diego State's that that like they're the projected team to win that game mm-hmm. in um in San Diego State, mm-hmm. and then Utah State comes back to to their home court against Nevada, who's been spiraling a little bit. I expected them to win. And then I looked at the score after the Jazz game, and I was like, wow, I couldn't yeah. have been more off. They lost badly, and it wasn't close. Mm-hmm. And so because of that, just the way that the wins came and in the chronology of, okay, they should mm-hmm. win because they're rebounding, and they should lose because they're rebounding, um, I, I, I have more confidence in BYU than I do Utah State. Mm-hmm. And BYU to me is in the middle of the pack of the Big 12, which I've talked about at, uh, numerous mm-hmm. times on here, but especially last week where I've kind of delineated. I think there are two teams that are have separated themselves, and that's Kansas and Houston. I think yeah. Kansas is up their potential ceiling with Johnny Furphy in the lineup, but I still don't think they're all that great. Mm-hmm. Um, Houston can't score, but defensively, unless you really have the weapons to score, you're not going to win. Yeah. And then you, then I would go Iowa State, who just beat Texas, as you said, mm-hmm. um, and that was a good win on the road. And then I'd say beyond that, I think Baylor's just a touch ahead of BYU, Oklahoma, TCU, and and then I would say those three are a touch ahead of Texas Tech, Texas, yeah. and I guess Kansas State's still in the running, but I don't think Kansas State's very good. Yeah, me either. <laughs> Yeah, I, I think you're absolutely right. I think uh, the, the Utah schools will be interesting to see. Uh, obviously, Utah State just has less less opportunities uh, to they can't lose as many games being in the big 12 is a safety net for BYU it's why they wanted to be there it makes a ton of sense you can lose a few more games in the conference and be okay I mean Utah Utah State's potentially going to fall out of the top 25 uh, with four losses like that's tough I mean that's just tough that's life in the Mountain West though I mean they play some good teams but they don't get a ton of respect uh, and you just don't have as much margin for error so I think both these teams are our tournament teams I think both of them have the opportunity to do some good stuff, but I am a little bit more confident in BYU. They're a bit more battle-tested. Uh, they do live and die by the three-pointer, which can be a bit of a challenge, but I am, I'm i am not super confident in Utah State's ability going forward. But I do want to talk on, on your Big 12 conversation because you mentioned last week that you thought the Big 12 was still the best conference college basketball. You said that a lot of times, even if people didn't necessarily hear that part of the conversation, because you also said that, hey, I think it might be a little bit overrated, and I think that a lot of these teams are are 
good, but maybe not great necessarily. They're just all kind of bunched together, and that's why you get a lot of close games. And that's pretty much exactly what we saw play out in the, in the games we saw on Tuesday night. Baylor picked up a nice win over Texas Tech, two consecutive ranked wins for the Bears after they had that insane win over Iowa State over the weekend, just an absolutely ridiculous contest between those two teams. But uh, they go out and beat Texas Tech. Texas Tech was not at full strength. Warren Washington was out with an illness. That helped allow Eves Missy to have a tremendous game for the Bears in the front court. He had 17 and 7 on just 5 of 7 shooting. Really nice stuff from Missy. And I think him playing at that level kind of helps Baylor in a huge way because the front court has been a bit of an issue for them. The the guards have been inconsistent as well. Jacoby Walter didn't have much uh, of a game here, but Ray J. Dennis stepped up for them in a big way. And then you had Iowa State, you know, five-point win over Texas. The Longhorns, I thought, really needed this one. Uh, it kind of goes back to what you were saying before. You got to defend your home court. This is a good Iowa State team, a team that was favored to win this one. But Texas, you, you can't lose on your home floor, uh, especially with the resume they have. And, and Dylan DeSue did everything, everything that he could to prevent a loss for, for, for Texas, 28 and 10. But Tyrese Hunter didn't even score. Max Aismas had 13 points on three of 11 shooting. Kendall Weaver started. He had just five points. Like there's just not enough depth on this Texas team to, to mitigate these kind of games. I mean, Iowa State's good, but you have to win this game if you're Rodney Terry and the Longhorns. And you mentioned Houston, blowout win over Oklahoma State, 16 points uh, was the margin of victory there. Jamal Shedd, 23 points on 8 of 12 shooting. Really great performance from him. But LJ Cryer, he had six points. He shot two of 10 from the field. And, and for me, Houston – they need both these guys to be playing at an incredibly high level to, to reach the potential that they have. This is a team that can make the Elite Eight. This is a team that can make the Final Four. But if their offense does not show up, this is also a team that can lose in the round of 32. Like, they they have to – those guys have to be good. And it's just the way the roster is constructed. It's the style they play that those – I mean, you have to be on point all the time. And they have the guard play to do it. They had it last year with Marcus Sasser. They replaced him with a really good, talented guard in LJ Cryer. But Cryer hasn't been consistent enough. And Shed hasn't either, necessarily. He was great in this one. But it feels like they're always running the risk of, hey, we can hold you to 56 points. But if neither of our guards show up or if only one of them does, we might only score 52. And that concerns me about Houston. And so I think you're right. The Big 12 is just kind of in this spot where there's a lot of good teams, a couple of very good teams but it does feel like they're they're kind of beating each other up in a way that I don't know how conducive that's going to be to success in March. And a lot of the results we saw on Tuesday night kind of indicate that. Yeah, let me let me break down my theory on Houston's issue, which is largely what you said. But mm -hmm. I think this is a simple way to put it. LJ Cryer last year was good at Baylor and everyone mm -hmm. knew who he was, but he was the third best guard mm -hmm. on Baylor, who was a three seed. That wasn't really a three seed good, and they lost by 20 in the second round. Yeah. Okay. So now you're expecting him to be the number one team analytically mm -hmm. best score on yeah. it. And that just doesn't, that doesn't add up. Jamal Shedd, mm -hmm. and you can check my tweets for two or <laughs> two and a half years. I am one of Jamal Shedd's biggest fans. Yeah. I got a lot of flack for saying Jamal Shedd was a lot better than Tawan Harris. And I still believe he is. I think he should be an all big 12 player. But Jamal Shedd is a is a pit bull. He's a bulldog. He, mm -hmm. he wants to get into the paint, and he creates havoc. But he's not a naturally gifted scorer. He's not your closer in terms of, uh, of the ability innately to score. He's the closer because he's got the ability to get to space, and he's got the heart to do it at big moments, which is all commendable, and it's all great. But it's not going to win you any any close games more than the ones you you are better than the team. 
Like mm-hmm. if you play Texas late in the game like they did and he closes it out with an air ball, but then he re- redeems himself later by getting to the rim and shooting free throws and winning you the game. That's great. But not, And then you lose Terrence Arsenal, who is your best talent. Yeah, I, I just don't think your wings score enough. Sharp can shoot mm-hmm. it, and he's a kind of a bigger, more rugged body. And then your bigs are tremendous on the glass, but neither of them quite have the dexterity that some of their bigs that the last couple of years have had. And so I just think that it's too hard to win six straight games, but it might even be too hard to win three or four straight games playing the style they do with the players they have. Marcus mm-hmm. Sasser had the ability to, yeah. to score and win them a championship last year. Jairus Walker elevated their ceiling. They ran into a team that scored very well in Miami, was hot, and Marcus mm-hmm. Sasser was hurt. Like I think that was Houston's best team last year. Yeah. It was just they didn't play in the Big 12, so they got less notoriety. Their mm-hmm. metrics were still excellent, but people poo-pooed them because they were in the, um, the American. Mm-hmm. Now they're in the Big 12, so everyone says, oh, they must be legit. But I think there's a worse team just watching yeah. their, them play basketball, even if they get more notoriety and more Ken Palm excellence. Right. Yeah, nothing, no, no shame in being a worse team than last year's team that was extremely good. But I do think that this team's, uh, yeah, they're they're going to have to get a lot of luck to fall their way, which you always need a little bit of luck. But uh, in order to make that deep run, just because of, of some of the the personnel and and how their how their roster is constructed compared to what they're trying to do. Uh, Leaf, I want to move on and talk about uh, UConn, who picked up their 11th consecutive win, a monster performance from Donovan Kling. We're going to talk about that, a couple other results from Tuesday, and then preview some of the big games coming up on Wednesday night. All that coming up after a word from today's sponsor, FanDuel. Folks, happy Super Bowl week to those of you who celebrate from FanDuel, America's number one sports book. If you're like me, Super Bowl Sunday is all about scoring the best seat on the couch, grabbing your favorite football snacks, and placing some super bets. And FanDuel has so many different ways for you to end the season with a W or two or three. Not only can you bet on who will win Super Bowl 58, currently the 49ers are two and a half point favorites. FanDuel also has bets for which players will score a touchdown, how many total points will be scored, and more. So, so much more on FanDuel. So new customers Join today and you'll get $200 in bonus bets if your first bet of $5 or more wins. Just visit FanDuel.com slash locked on to sign up. That's FanDuel.com slash locked on. Make every moment more with FanDuel, an official sportsbook partner of the NFL. All right, leave closing out the show with a couple more results. I want to talk about from a really big slate of games on Tuesday. I will start with UConn's 11th straight win for them. They beat Butler 71-62. to Donovan Klingon, his first double-double of the season. That surprised me. I know he was hurt, obviously, for a big chunk of the year, but still hadn't gotten that double-double yet. 18-14 and for him uh, against the Bulldogs. 8-12 of 12 shooting. He also had three assists and three block shots. Butler obviously coming off that big win over Creighton last week, kind of putting themselves in the bubble conversation. Played well in this one. Uh, UConn is uh, obviously any team would love to beat UConn to boost their resume, but Butler, I thought, played a pretty competitive game. But when Donovan Klingon's playing like this, I don't know that this team is is beatable. I mean, this is a, a tremendously talented team. Stefan Castle has been great the last couple of weeks as well. And, and for him to be playing at that level, for Klingon to now be playing at this level, this team is extraordinarily talented and, and scary good. Yeah, I think I think UConn, and I've been voting them number one for, I think, mm-hmm. three or four weeks now. I think their baseline is the best in basketball, and their ceiling may as, may also be the best. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, obviously, Kentucky, if they were to put all their pieces together, might be the most scary mm-hmm. to face offensively on any given night. But UConn's baseline is they can beat you in any given way. They beat you without their most valuable player um, for a month of the season and kept winning. 
they play they figured out how to play ball screen defense differently with Samson Johnson than they did with Donovan Klingon. Like, and I know that sounds simple. It's like, oh, one's bigger than the other, one's more right. mobile. But the rest of the team has to adapt and cover defensively this uh, differently. They did so without their five-star freshman for much of the year. Now he's coming into his own. And then you have an all-American guard in Tristan Newton. You have Alex Caravan is going to be an all-big East type of player mm-hmm. who's also missed a few games here and there. Yeah. Uh, you Cam Spencer's developed into one of the best shooters in college basketball on one of the best teams. It's not like mm-hmm. his shots are super, super easy. Like he's getting mm-hmm. good shots. They run or- orchestrated sets. They get the looks they want. They protect the rim at ridiculous levels when Klingon's in the game. That's the thing that's crazy is they were able to win without their, their anchor. And now you can't score near the rim against them. And even if you do somehow get him into foul trouble, which is hard to do, uh, they figured out how to win at the top five level with their backup big. So I think UConn's the team to beat in college basketball. And I know that's not saying too much because they won last year. But if you were to look at the beginning of the year, they were picked third in the Big East. Mm-hmm. And and I think they're head and shoulders above the rest of the Big East. But I don't think they're that much better than the, the other really good teams in college basketball this year. Yeah. I, I think there's a lot of parity. But they're, they're the closest team to being like, okay, uh, I won't say upset proof. But they're mm-hmm. the closest to, hey, they can have a bad game, and I still trust them to figure out how to win of anyone in the country right now. Yeah. Well, speaking of teams that that maybe aren't at that level of trust but certainly have the talent, like you mentioned, Kentucky, uh, it was Vanderbilt. They beat them really badly. We're not surprised they beat Vanderbilt. Uh, 24 points from Reeves, 20 points from Rob Dillingham off the bench. He also had nine assists and one turnover because he has just been extraordinary at taking care of the basketball and distributing the basketball. Uh, wanted to shout out Zvonimir Visic. Uh, obviously had that great first game. Hasn't done a ton since then. He had 11 and seven in this game, which looks great. He had 11 and seven in 12 minutes, which looks even better. He also had five fouls. So there's certainly some growth that still needs to be had for him in the front court. Uh, I still have concern for Kentucky's front court. Bradshaw played better in this game, but again, it was Vanderbilt. Uh, Kentucky looks great. They have a, a, a big game coming up against Gonzaga at home on Saturday. I'm still uh, skeptical of them, but we know they're capable of dropping 100, 100 plus points in any given night. Uh, and this was one of those nights where where they look like a team that can be the best in the country, but you have to take it with a grain of salt because Vanderbilt has just has just not been good this year. Yeah, I think I think Kentucky just needs to find a way to let Rob Dillingham do his thing yeah and then defensively you focus in and and say hey our athletes are good enough to be good defensively like i know mm-hmm. we think we can outscore teams but we're going to turn the keys over to rob dillingham let reed shepherd and antonio reeves shoot the ball and use uh, rob dillingham's gravity mm-hmm. let onyenso and bradshaw the combination of bigs and if if avisic is more consistent obviously by all means yeah. play him too and let them do their thing and then defensively, we're going to have Justin Edwards and Mitchell just try to be athletes mm-hmm. and be disruptive because we're not going to be the most stout team, but we might as well force steals. And, and so if I were John Calipari, I would try to force more pressure uh, in the backcourt. And then defensively, I would just try to use length. And I saw Burks played more. And so maybe he mm-hmm. is thinking this and buying into, hey, Dutierro's had some back issues. He's on paper their best defender. Mm-hmm. But so maybe you play someone like Burks and say, well, look, if you run the floor, you'll get some buckets because we run we run and score. But we just want you to defend and rebound. Yeah. And you've got enough offense just with Rob Dillingham, honestly. Mm-hmm. But in certain certainly with with the one of the SEC Player of the Year candidates, the, mm-hmm. that's probably your third best player in mm-hmm. Reeves. You've got Shepard. You've got Wagner, who's been out, mm-hmm. and all these guys who can score. 
I just think they need to have one or two players that that accept a role of being the defensive stopper. Yeah. I'm uh, going to speed by another result in the Big Ten here. Michigan State falls to Minnesota 59-56 on Tuesday. Now just 6-6 six and six in the Big Ten, 14-9 overall. And I feel like, you know, Michigan State started the year off poorly and got a ton of attention as a team that was projected so high in the preseason. And they've kind of worked their way back, uh, had some solid results in the Big Ten. But now with a loss like this, I mean, it just feels like they keep taking steps forward, taking steps backward. This has been a rough season for Tom Izzo. they got to just keep finding ways to get W's in the conference so they can at least make the NCAA tournament. And, of course, from there, you never really want to bet against Tom Izzo, but this team has not performed at that expectation. But do want to move on and get to previewing some of tonight's games. we got two top ten teams who are at home. That is Tennessee hosting LSU. That game is at 7 p.m. Eastern time on the SEC Network. FanDuel favors the Vols by 13.5 points. You also got Notre Dame at Duke. Uh, that is at 9 p.m. Eastern time tonight. ACC Network, no line from FanDuel as we were recording this. Uh, we'll get to some of the other games, but Leaf, either of those two games uh, super intriguing to you? Do you feel like uh, it's any chance for the home team to take a loss there, or do these feel like two, two probable w- Ws for the top 10 teams? I think both the top 10 teams coast. I think LSU has the scoring ability to sometimes trifle with Tennessee, but Tennessee can score this year mm-hmm. and, and they need this win because they dropped one at home uh, to South Carolina fairly recently. And I think they're mm-hmm. reinvigorated after beating Kentucky. So I would, if, if one's going to be closer than the other, that's the one I would pick. But mm-hmm. I, I think, I think that it's going to be some easy 15 point wins for each side. Yeah, I think the game that's going to be the most intriguing uh, for for our Wednesday night viewers is going to be in the SEC, Alabama at Auburn, 16 at 12, according to our rankings. Uh, that game's at 7 p.m. Eastern time on ESPN2. Fandle does favor Auburn by five and a half points. I want to get to that game. I'm going to read a few other games that are going on on Wednesday as well. We got Wisconsin at Michigan, uh, 7 p.m. Eastern time on the Big Ten Network. Wisconsin favored only by five and a half points. I know it's a road game for them, and I know they've been struggling, but that Michigan team does not look very good. Uh, A couple more in the Big East. Villanova at Xavier, 7 p.m. on FS1. FanDuel favors Xavier by three and a half over Villanova. And then number 15, Creighton at Providence going to the dunk, 8.30 Eastern time on FS2. Creighton, the the away team favored by two and a half. Uh, and start with Bama, Auburn if you want, or, or any of those games that, that are extra appealing to you uh, for tonight's slate. No, Bama, Auburn's an awesome game. I'm very mm-hmm. excited for that. Last time, Auburn got out to a really good lead, and then Alabama stormed back, defended their home court, and then looked like the better team led by Mark Sears. Auburn struggled to find out who was their scorer. Um, you saw Chad Baker, Mazzara try mm-hmm. to shoot a lot of shots. You saw Holloway play very poorly. And Auburn still had a chance at the end of the game. I think at home, Auburn's going to take care of business, play with pace, force a couple extra turnovers, mm-hmm. and have a more decided hierarchy of who's the decision maker, who's the score at the end of the game. Because Bruce Pearl's best offense is playing 10 guys, and it's mostly yeah. spurred by their defense. I think now the roles have become more defined, and you're going to see a more – uh, coordinated team together. They, they know who's who. They know what's going to happen in a close game. I do think Auburn's going to win. I wouldn't bet this with a five-and-a-half-point spread. I think it's going to be somewhere in that whereabouts of four mm-hmm. through seven points. But I think that Auburn's probably the more solid team. Bama's struggled to get big wins. Uh, they've won a few close ones. But, but I think this will be a fairly high-scoring game where Auburn controls throughout. 
That's going to wrap it up for us today here on the Locked On College Basketball Podcast. Thanks, as always, to Leaf for coming on. Uh, we got another great show coming your way on Thursday, getting through these games. Isaac will be your host host for that one, talking about these games, getting you ready for the rest of the weekend. And then, of course, we'll be back on Friday, getting you ready for what should be another fantastic weekend of games on, in February here. Of course, we got Gonzaga, Kentucky. We've got a handful of other fantastic performances coming your way. Thanks to those of you who have made this show your first listen or your first watch of the day. And until tomorrow... Peace out.